Hello and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with usual suspect Mark Stockley. Hi. Returning guest, Paul Ducklin. Black. <laughs> Brand new to the podcast, Sophos Director of Security, Craig Jones. Hi everyone. Hey. Welcome. Thanks. Yay. The Scottish chap with a Welsh name. That's right, yeah. Welsh name, uh, live in Wales. Uh, Ether work for work for Sophos in, in England. Yeah. Come from Scotland. Yeah, I think I'm the personification of the UK, really. Yay. In a terrible but, but way. Nice hybrid. <laughs> Can you do animal noises? That's the question. No. <laughs> Can you, Mark? I don't feel like I need to. I feel like we've got that covered. <laughs> As usual, we've picked the top three stories from the week to discuss on the podcast. So coming up on today's show, Mark tells us it's not okay to microchip our employees. Duck talks about a bug in open SMTPD. Well done. Well done. Got it right. And Craig's got a warning for Trello users. So Craig, before we start, can you talk us through what you do at Sophos? Wow. Um, yes. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? Why are you, why are you on How this podcast? How you get in the podcast studio? <laughs> So, um, well, I guess it's a long story, really. Um, I uh, run the team that helps secure Sophos internally. Okay. So we, I, I run the security operations team, and we are effectively here to keep Sophos safe, to keep us all safe. Um, and we primarily focus on protecting Sophos's apps, its uh, consumer deliverables, its servers, and things even, even down to, for example, your staff laptops. We, we monitor and protect those as well. Ooh. Good so job. Are you looking at what I'm looking at on the internet, Craig? What could possibly go wrong? So you're basically cybersecurity in a cybersecurity company. I know, it's a very unique privilege. I and was there a reason you picked out Anna's laptop specifically <laughs> when you were saying, and I protect your laptop, Anna? Or, or more specifically, I protect everyone else from, from your, your laptop. What, what you're clicking on. How well do I do in the uh, fishing test, Craig? <laughs> very well. Do you have the results of the fishing test? I, I'm sure we could talk about it in a future episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, so one of the, the, the not... tests that you desperately want to fail <laughs> rather than pass. Like, I not click. Oh, I see, yeah. So, Craig, while we've got you here, I am going to pump you for information. That is the price of admission, I'm afraid. <laughs> so you actually do security for a living. You're at the sharp end. So what I am interested in is what you're interested in. So what are you... What's on your mind at the moment? What are you thinking about more than anything else? What's on my mind? I guess for us, um, we're not particularly interested in, in everyday garden malware and ransomware mm-hmm. like a lot of companies. Mm. Um, for for me, really, it's about things like our presence on the internet. Um, you know, I'm not particularly concerned by, say, the flashy stuff. We just need to do security. We need to do it well. Because mm. obviously we're, we're, we're running security for a security company and we really need to be at the top of our game. Yeah, we, we hear that kind of thing quite a lot from Peter, don't mm. we? So we have often we have Peter McKenzie on the podcast and his job is to go into companies and actually kind of dig them out of trouble. Yeah. And the thing that he talks about is even when he's dealing with the kind of big name, big game ransomware, is just things as simple as knowing what computers you own. Like, do you actually have an inventory of your stuff? So is it that kind of, is it that level of, is it really that, that Absolutely. I mean, I think security really comes down to a selection of controls and just doing some stuff really well, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that you don't have any vulnerabilities, that you're, you understand what you've got, you know what's actually on the edge of the internet. Um, and, you know, we, we've done sufficient security control, we've locked things down, um, even down to things like, are we running signed software? Do we know what we've got? Do we know what we're deploying? 
Um, all of these things are super important. And it's the basics. If you do the basics really well and continually, it's not sexy and it's not flashy, but if you're doing it well, yeah. um, you're going to do security well. Sexy mm. to us, Craig. Yeah, well, well to me to too, <laughs> to me too, but it's not an awesome story, you know. <laughs> you can get hyped up by patching, you know. <laughs> Maybe Duck, duck. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think Duck does. Well, we all look towards I get, Duck. I get hyped up when I hear that people have been doing it and I get very unhyped up when you think, golly, I wonder if this person, you know, I'm going to hand over my data to them. If they're going to put it on an unpatched system, is it going to wander out into the great unknown? Duck, my mum texted me last night and she said, darling, I'm updating my iPhone because Duck told me to. <laughs> we Can I say, please. that's an excellent did impression. He, did he tell her with one of those letters where you cut... With yes, it was like a ransom, old ransom note. Patch yeah. now. Gene, <laughs> patch your iPhone. Um, Mark, you'll be uh, pleased to know I don't have an update for you on are, your, are, are our phones listening to us. So still not listening is what you're saying? Well, I don't know. So status quo, not listening. I just have no update from my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so no family members have communicated with you this week that their phones are spying No, they on. actually have, but I'm... Have all story. of your family members put their phones in the bin now? Is this another talking Angela situation? No, because all these people who've got this app that they think is terrible. Don't make fun of my family, Mark. My mum's been listening to Dark with the iPhone. She's updated. She's on the latest iOS. Don't well, I'm be not mean. saying that everyone's phones are listening, but you know, the, if every time we write on Naked Security about, uh, particularly Android phones, which come pre-installed with this giant sea of applications, we do get a lot of people going. You know, I, I don't think my phone's spying on me, but. With all the bloatware around today, my goodness, mm. you know, how the heck do I know? And I go to uninstall it and I can't. So the good news is it looks as though bloatware is going to get thinned out in the future, at least by Google on Android. That's good. Quite good nice. news. So they're flensing, are they? Yeah, instead of 123 applications you didn't want, you'll only get 79. It's, you know, small steps, I guess. Get an iPhone. Oh, actually, that's reminded me. You've gone to the dark side, haven't you, Dark? I have not gone. I still have my iPhone. No, you're not, but you don't have a Mac anymore, do you? I do have a Mac, but one of the keys got stuck, and unfortunately it's the opt or the alt key, so I can't type my password in because <laughs> I get weird Swedish characters, <laughs> and I can't get in to change my password to weird Swedish characters to get in. So you're on the heaviest... I was going to say the brand, but I can't. <laughs> the heaviest laptop ever you have. I went back to I went back to where I was before the Mac, before the Mac, before the Mac that I had. Mm. Ye oldy times. Although ye, ye in, old. in a weird turn of events, you talk about going to the dark side. Mm. Doug was showing me yesterday that he's using Visual Studio oh, on Microsoft. That's on what I Linux. used to use. Oh. Yep. Visual Studio, uh, the Visual Code Editor by Microsoft. Can't speak highly enough of it. Fantastic Linux product, easy to install, uh, runs well. Finally found beautiful. a way to unify the Vi Emacs <laughs> factions. <laughs> There's no it's look, done by Microsoft. Emacs is not an editor. <laughs> Emacs is an operating system missing a kernel. That says, plus, if you're a Slackware guy, you don't use Vim. You use Elvis. But I've so. I found Visual Code and I'm very comfortable with it. Mm. And Good it means you. that I'm not using Skype, <laughs> you go, which I used to use the Skype editor, but it's quite hard to say in case you have a pronunciation blunder and people say, what did you say? Um, 
Yeah, I'm quite happily using Microsoft open source code on Linux and loving it. Well, I feel blessed that you felt comfortable enough to come out as a Visual Studio user mm. on the podcast. I recommend it highly. Electron for the win. Mark? Is it me? Well, yeah. What are you angry about this week? I'm actually not angry. I'm quite wow. happy about this. I rather like this story. I think it's a, it's a good story, albeit possibly for less than good motives. So I am talking about a law that is passing through the Indiana State Legislature. So it's been through the House of Representatives. Uh, it hasn't yet been through the Senate. And the law is designed to stop companies from injecting radio frequency ID microchips into employees as a condition of their employment. Wow. Yeah. So RFID implants are uh, they're microchips. They're about the size of a grain of rice. Um, and they normally carry a unique ID and then they're embedded somewhere in your body. So perhaps in your upper arm, somewhere like that. And then the ID can be linked back to uh, some computer system somewhere. So it's a bit like a cookie mm. in that, OK, if I know your ID, then I can go and look at the computer records and then I can use that to maybe govern what you can get access to or maybe I can link that to your health records. So it's um, just a chip instead of a card. It's like the equivalent of an arm. Yes, it's like card. carrying a card around, but you can't remove it because it's stuck in your arm. So you might you might use it for sort of... Uh, opening doors, or you could use it to make contactless payments by waving your hand instead of your card, that kind of thing. So House Bill 1143, which was passed 96 votes to nil, says it prohibits an employer from requiring a candidate for employment or an employee to have a device implanted or otherwise incorporated into the candidate's or employee's body as a condition of employment, as a condition of employment in a particular position, or as a condition of receiving additional compensation or benefits. So... Don't do that, in other words. It doesn't say microchip, it just says any device, so they can't force you to get your ears pierced, for example, oh, presumably. Or stick an iPhone in your forehead or anything like that, <laughs> uh, which all sounds rather Orwellian. Uh, and it makes you wonder about the poor people that are being forced to put up with this compulsory chipping or that are being denied their employment. But the thing is, there aren't any. Well, This is not a problem. Even the bill's sponsor, Representative Alan Morrison, admits that basically nobody is doing this. Nobody's doing this in Indiana, and already almost nobody is doing it in the world. His argument is simply that he wants to get out in front of this before it becomes a problem. Right, okay. So maybe he wants to be seen to be getting out in front of this for some personal reason, but that's, uh, that's what he's saying. Um, and the history of RFID, I had a quick look at this uh, before we came in here just to see, if, like, is there anything in the history of RFID that would kind of get the fire alarm ringing that would make mm. you think this is something urgent that we need to get onto now? Um, and you, there are lots and lots of pets in the world that might have something to say about RFID chipping. It's compulsory in England for dogs over the age of eight weeks, for example. Oh, and it? there are tens of millions of pets in the world that have been chipped. I would but, say that Dusty the cat would find it hard to get in her cat flap if she wasn't microchipped. Oh, you've got a... Yeah, I've got a fancy cat so flap. So you're already using keyless entry. Absolutely. It's a, it's a condition of employment for you as a cat owner. It's a condition of, yeah, living in my house if you're a pet. I haven't microchipped You haven't any, extended uh, that rest, to other members of your family my yet. My son That's is just... not yet microchipped, <laughs> although... Horse owners are very keen on RFID chips and typically put more than one in a horse because it's like if your horse gets rustled or stolen, um, they're rather valuable. And most people, yeah, yeah, you can't. Most people don't have gardens or flats big enough to keep horses in, so you um, keep them in some in a somebody else's field. I don't want to make this all about my cat Dusty, <laughs> but she couldn't have got in the house. She, so she had a so originally she had a normal normal cat flat, 
and then other cats were coming and then she had a magnet cat flap but she got bullied by another cat who ripped her um, magnet collar off and assaulted her so she couldn't get in the cat flap and then came in <laughs> Don't with laugh. the magnet so it was like no, a- he didn't want to get in. He just wanted to pick on her. And then she's quite a victim. She's sort of quite meek. And uh, and then I got her an infrared one. And then that didn't work because she also got her- She couldn't press the button with her <laughs> tiny paw. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no opposable small. thumbs. Yeah. And then microchip cat flap changed my life and hers. So there you go. <laughs> Continue with your story. Does she ever come scudding through the cat flap and then it locks and then another cat chasing her goes bang? You haven't seen... Flap. Dusty the cat. She's quite a large lady. She doesn't move very quickly. So how quickly does the does it read the chip and the thing open up? I mean, is it like instantaneous within? A, it has. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's, so it hasn't have to wait, yet. wait, 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 like like when you're you know passport control. No, on, with your passport on the scanner. But if it was doing a database lookup, yeah, it's not I maybe she would have to. <laughs> I think you can actually set the timing on it. But she uh, because she's quite a slow lady. The only problem with the microchip cat flap is it scans her, it beeps, it opens, and because she's quite slow, she doesn't get in the cat flap in time, but she never has a problem with being too fast. I feel like we comprehensively <laughs> covered the whole pet situation. But well, I think any- you've covered the issue of why people might be concerned because thinking, hey, I'm not a dog, I'm not a cat, I'm not a pet, I'm not cattle. Like, I'm a human and I don't want this mark of the beast in my skin. Some people have religious objections. It's this idea that you can't get rid of it. Um, I think that's the key thing, isn't yeah. it, that you are... What worries me about it is the idea that if it's attached to anything of value, then whatever it's embedded in then becomes a thing of value. Mm. So my credit card is a thing of value. And if you if you want to steal that card from me, then I just have to make a choice about whether or not I'm going to hand it over. Whereas if my arm becomes a thing of value... yeah. It becomes very difficult to hand it Harder, over. You yeah. Know? yeah. Well, then, Do I, I think, have to go with it? I think or... the other concern that people have put on the Naked Security article we wrote about this, some of the comments saying, you know, remember the early days when two-factor authentication, there were no apps for it. You had a little fob for each bank account. They're saying, what am I going to end up with? Like an armful of these chips. And then, of course, there'll be updates and upgrades. (laughs) And they'll go, oh, that one's no good anymore. We can remove it if you like, or we'll just bang in more. You know, by the time I'm 60 years old, am I going to have 50 chips like suppurating all over my body? That's a reasonable objection. So you've got, (laughs) the time you're 60, you've got a left arm of legacy chips. Yeah. Or your Darth Vader. (laughs) (laughs) One of those two things has happened. Oh no, I'm still running XP There was a very forearm. There was a very uh, pertinent comment, I think, left on the story on Naked Security, where if you think about, okay, so you've got all the problems with the actual device itself. But as I said, you know, the chances are that would then be hooked up. Your your idea is then associated with a bunch of stuff somewhere else in the cloud. So who's going to manage that mm. stuff? And their example, of course, was, well, that's the sort of thing that companies like Equifax do. So Equifax? I haven't heard of them. Who are they? <laughs> News to me. They're the people who shared your social security number oh, right. with everyone else. <laughs> so what's interesting about this idea as well is it, it seems to have a bit of trouble taking off. So it's been around for quite a while, and I I, uh, I found uh, there was a, a club in Barcelona that got quite a lot of publicity in 2004 called the Baja Beach Club, and they famously chipped their VIP customers or gave their VIP customers the option of being chipped, and then you could use that Ooh, exclusive to deals. pay for drinks and nice. uh, for that, that kind of thing. But I think mostly that was a PR exercise. It only mm. sounds like, you know, 100 or so people were ever chipped, and that wound up in 2009 and that was inspired by something in the USA called Very Chip which was a healthcare chip 
and the idea was that um, uh, vulnerable people would be chipped and then it's very easy to identify who they are when they go into um, the accident and emergency um, or into the emergency room. And that also wound up in uh, 2010. So it seems like it's one of those ideas that everybody can think of lots of good applications for, but I, I, might, I suspect that that kind of revulsion, that idea of I don't want to have something injected into me, is probably holding it back. Yeah. And, and it doesn't look like something that we're going to have to legislate for. But I thought the idea of legislating for things that haven't happened was quite interesting. So I wanted to throw that out to the podcast and see if anybody in here uh, has got any ideas for laws that we need to pass for things that aren't yet a security problem, but probably will be in the future. Would anybody like to volunteer a suggestion? Yes, I'd like to see a law that stops silly laws like this being passed because it's clearly just a publicity <laughs> stunt. And there's no point. Cybersecurity is riddled with the laws of unintended consequences mm. of legislators trying to get ahead of the game by coming up with laws we simply do not need and will not work. What we need is to take current legislation, legislation we already have, apply it to the cybersecurity realm where that is possible, and then with the clarity of hindsight to make adaptations to laws when they are necessary. Not silly stuff like this as wasting the legislature's time debating stuff that isn't even an issue yet. And the classic example is the Computer Fraud and Misuse Act, where it was quite clear that existing laws nearly but couldn't quite apply in the UK. So, for example, just going and looking something like trespass, that wasn't to be allowed in the cybersecurity realm because by people just taking a peek they were getting too much. So we had some special case laws that said there are aspects of cybersecurity we're going to prosecute differently. But to let legislatures, legislators make publicity out of laws that we do not need for problems that do not exist is just asking for trouble. Ask anybody who's ever talked to a politician about laws about encryption. QED. Thank you very much. Apart from that, I'm quite easy-minded about it. So what about killer robots? <laughs> oh. Yeah, oh, no. there you go. Mark, are you worried Elon about... Will keep us safe. <laughs> are you worried about killer robots? I'm yeah. going to go into it now. <laughs> I did think that that was probably the law that you'd like to pass. <laughs> it's quite a tricky one to pass, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's a bit like Duck's law is politicians, please stop grandstanding. Yeah. I mean, it's a fine idea. Yeah. Uh, I think please don't build killer robots, also a fine idea. But Just to give Craig some background, uh, Mark has been terrified of killer robots for a number of years now. It's something he's very worried about. We should all be worried, but some of us have taken it a bit too far in our concerns. So You'll be sorry. <laughs> no, I think the obvious, the, the obvious example is if, if you rewind a bit, politicians going, obviously we need laws about encryption because it's going to be a problem. And this was, you know... It, back in the end of the 80s, the 1990s, all these laws came about and they had terrible, unintended, destructive consequences, including just about crushing the cryptography industry in the United States, where they suddenly weren't allowed to export strong crypto. It was a munitions they export, They were it? allowed to import it from other... I mean, so you get this craziness by trying to legislate for things that you do not understand before you know how they're going to be used and whether existing laws are enough, because you can have too many laws because they're hard to administer if you have laws that are purposeless. Thank you, Mark. Duck, you're going to be talking to us about... I'm going to try and get it right again. I know, um, I struggled with it. Even in my mind, I can't say it's it It's easy right. to read. Open SMTPD. 
Bug. Doesn't trip off the tongue, does it? Yes, Open SMTPD is a mail server, and SMTP is Simple Mail Transfer Protocol. D is the Unix word daemon, which basically means background process, and open means it's open source, and it comes from the OpenBSD project. So this is an operating system that's kind of focused on security. They like to take existing programs and try and strip them down and chop them up into smaller parts. They're very, very conscious about security. And they have this alternative mail server that's a minority program for sending and receiving email, but it nevertheless is used by at least some security-conscious folks or folks who've got a product that happens to be based on this OpenBSD operating system. And unfortunately, for all their security consciousness, there was a rather gaping hole for quite some time that nobody noticed in their mail server. And it's easy to say, well, who runs a mail server these days? Most individuals use Gmail or Outlook.com or some webmail-based server. So Google or Microsoft or Yahoo, bless their hearts, run the mail server for you and you use your web browser to access it. Many companies use something like, you know, Office 365 or, they, or, or, or Google Mail. They have a server for them. But even in many small and medium businesses, I think there's probably a mail server somewhere that somebody set up for some purpose years ago to deal with some particular types of inquiry. And if you haven't, if you have such a server, or if you think you don't, go and check. Because if you go on the internet search engines like Shodan or Census, you'll, you'll find all these open SMTPD servers, uh, which are running this program that urgently needs patching. Craig, do you need to go and check if there are any, any mail servers? <laughs> I'm going to need one now. <laughs> Be right back. Actually, if, if you do run your own mail server and it's on a Unix, but it's not at Microsoft Exchange, the chances are it's one of the big four, which is SendMail, which is primarily used for receiving mail, but it's called SendMail. The Unix world is full of products that with, with weird names, but at least you can say SendMail. SendMail, Postfix, Exim, uh, and QMail, and the kind of minority fifth is this open SMTPD created by the OpenBSD team for people who didn't like the other four. And unfortunately, shades of 1988 and the internet worm and an, and an old security problem that existed with SendMail, what, 30-something years ago, basically you can send an email and if you format the sender's name correctly, instead of putting, say, duck at example.com, as the mail sender or the mail recipient, you can put a system command and the mail server goes, oh, I'll run that for you. So instead of sending a message that gets processed and delivered somebody, you send the mail server a command and it goes and runs it. And worse, it runs it as root or sysadmin, which means that you can sit outside the mail server, send it potentially, send it a message that has a command embedded in the mail and the command runs. So I feel like if I was going to write a mail server from scratch, before I started, I would probably write on a post-it note, do not execute arbitrary commands sent in an email and stick it to my monitor. <laughs> yes. So like, this is, it, this, it sounds like this fact, is the... You could even, that's one exception that you might want to put it on a chip and embed it in your body. So every time you went near an IFI reader, it flashed up on the screen, do not it's quite do handy. this. But is it, this, is, this is pretty much the worst thing you could possibly do with a, a mail server, isn't it? Yes. So how does, how does this happen? How do, you, how do you end up doing the very thing? that from, you're trying so hard not to, to From do. looking at the code, 
uh, it looks as though the, 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 like what you like to call the teachable moment or the learnable lesson is there was a bit of code in there that said, hey, let's validate the sender's email address and the recipient's email address. So the bit of the code that says if either of them is invalid, test to see whether they're valid. If either of them are invalid, then do this special thing, which is reject the message. But then it transpires, well, in some cases, you can have an invalid message and mail address, and then you have to accept it. So there's this check. Is either the sender or the recipient invalid? If so, now we're going into the danger will Robinson reject the email bit. Oh, but there are some special cases. And if you're a programmer, you'll know that whenever you have a test for something bad, and then you start coding in, well, exception one is this, exception two is that, exception three and a half is that, then you can get a problem. And it ended up that you could send, you could, if you left the at example.com, the second part of the email address blank, then even though the username in the email address had already passed, the, already failed the is it dodgy test, the email would still get accepted. So basically, it was code that was designed to detect and reject dangerous, exactly the danger that was on your post-it note, do not let this happen, had then been modified for all these special cases. And one of them in the middle of reject, 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 open oh, in this special case, allow it. And somebody figured out, whoops, there's a way of jumping through that hole. And it turned out when they investigated, it was really easy. You just needed to use some semicolons in the right place. So really trivial to exploit bug buried deep inside somewhere that escaped notice for ages. The good news is because the OpenBST team are focused on security, they do care about security, it is their bag. They fixed it almost instantaneously, put out a patch. So get the patch assorted. But don't make that mistake when you're programming. Does that count as a hole in the root install? As a uh, root hole in the default install? Yes, remote 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 hole in default install. It does not. So they're still at two in a heck of a long time, <laughs> which is good open BSD publicity. To be fair, the default use of this mail server when it's installed is not actually to receive mail from outside. As we mentioned, most people these days aren't running their own mail server to receive mail. The default use of it is to accept mail that you want to send because mail servers don't just receive mail. They also queue up and send mail. Uh, so it's the default install has the mail server listening locally for when you want to send a mail, for example, an alert, and it will queue it up and deliver it later. And in that case, it's bad because it means that somebody who already has a login to your computer, already able to log into the computer, but who is not root, can trivially promote themselves to root. So technically, by default, it is not a remote code execution hole, but it is a rather dangerous elevation of privilege EOP hole. So anyone who's on the computer can send themselves a secret email that, and now they're root. So suddenly they're sysadmin. So it is bad and it definitely needs patching. And when you're writing code and you've got testing for errors, don't have a whole load of... Oh, if there's an error, well, here's a long list of exceptions and lists getting longer and longer and longer as the code grows. So I have to pay a little homage at this point because I read Duck's article and it, it uses pseudocode examples to spell out exactly what he's just said about if you're handling errors, don't do it like this stupid way, do it this sensible way so that you can actually read it. And immediately after doing that, I had to go and write some code, ah. which basically deals with a bunch of error conditions. And so I took 
what I'd just been seared into my brain for fear of <laughs> falling foul of ducks ire. And I wrote out all the error conditions exactly as they're spelled out in his article. Well, there you go. Go. I'm going to set them out like this. So it's very clear to read. It's very obvious that this this one's been passed and this one's been failed and they all happen in sequence. Yeah. So from so my mum to Mark Stockley, you're just advising you directly others. influenced. I do hope, Mark, that you're going to submit that code to, to an open source project <laughs> and then we can find it in like 30 years time and then, <laughs> you know, have, have some fresh content in 30 years to discuss, you know. <laughs> well, the, the rather old I'm advice. bury it as deeply as possible. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, a, when you look at how they've revised the code, they kind of, they did it the right way. They said, okay, there are some really special cases. Let's deal with those up front. You know, if the username and the destination domain are both blank, then that's a special case you're allowed to accept the mail. Now we'll go on to now we'll go on to wait to throwing away the bad stuff. So they didn't do the is this valid check and then get into a place where they later chose to ignore that because they weren't going to check it again. Mm. And so the code is now much more readable, even you know, it's in they have to understand C. But it just it just makes it much more obvious what the intention of the program is. There's a series of sequences. This is allowed, this is allowed, this is allowed, the rest is not. Do we know how long Easy. it was in there? Uh it was uh oh, a couple of years, I think. Because these they have a these things have a way of hanging around, don't they? They do like a sudo bug that was fixed that Apple found lately. Sudo is the Linux and Unix command that gives allows you to run a command as somebody else, notably a sysadmin. That there was a bug that had been there for for, for I don't know something like ten years, um, whereby you could send it a command and then say, "Oh, I'd I'd like you to echo my password with little stars, so I know how many letters I've typed." Um, but and there was a bug when it came to erasing the stars when you wanted to backspace through the password or start again, that it would delete the stars, but it would not re replenish its buffer counter. So you could do a buffer overflow and potentially get control. And of course, if nobody's really looking for these holes because they're deep inside, um, then yes, they can last for ages. So the, the myth about with many eyes, all bugs are shallow. With many eyes, bugs still don't necessarily get noticed. Um, so you're right, in there for some time. So re-scrutinising code is always a good idea. And so to end, get your patches. Get your patches and write code that is clear rather than incorrect. Thanks, Doug. Craig, one of the uh, reasons we wanted you on this week was because we wrote a good article on uh, Trello, thanks to you, this week. Um, it's actually our top story of the week. Well done. Um, um, so it's all about um, all the public data that was on Trello, but um, it's not just this week that you've been looking at it, is it? You've been on it for a while, having a poke about. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been looking at Trello for a couple of years, really. Yeah. Um, so Trello, well, this research really came about from a few years ago. I was looking for an application just to help me organise my life, mm. get things together. And um, I looked at a whole bunch of different things. And uh, one of the things that came up was Trello. Oh, I and, you were uh, going to say Snapchat. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a different kind of life app. Let's go back to Notepad. No, um, so I looked at Trello and um, it was perfect. It was exactly what I needed. And as I looked through the, the different... Um, options one of the options you had was to make a trello board and if you haven't seen a trello board before you can basically create this board it's almost like a tabletop 
where you can create different cards and within that card then you can create different items effectively. It's a Kanban board, it's isn't it? It's a Kanban board, yeah. that's correct. Um, so that's like the thing that you used to stick on the fridge. Yeah, it's like... Exactly. You, you it's almost like the cloud where everybody can see it. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh -oh. Absolutely. Um, so this is the point. So so I was looking at the board and one of the options it had was was make this board public. And I thought, oh, this is, this is really interesting. So, mm. you know, I, I obviously didn't do it to my own board. I created a new board, added some really unique text in there and then made it public and left it for a couple of days. And I, thought, and I, I kind of forgot about it. And then a few days, a few days later, then it suddenly I, I went back to the Trello board, my my my, the one I used to organise myself, and I, I realised, oh, hang on a minute, what about that data? And I just had a quick quick Google search for it, and lo and behold, my board came up and it was unique. Wow. And I thought, there's something here. <laughs> this is going to be this is this is the start of something minute. huge. Um, so basically, I I just thought, well, hang on a minute, let's have a look for the most obvious thing possible, passwords. Mm. So I typed in the word, you know, insighttrello.com forward slash B space password. Boom. I just suddenly had like hundreds upon hundreds of boards. Wow. And a lot of them like brand new boards with just pages and pages of passwords. So it got me thinking really, well, Presumably there's passwords in here, the there's other stuff. Yeah, you know? like server names and IP numbers and all the stuff you need to find out where to put type in the passwords. Well, absolutely. Everything was there. It was a really helpful guide, you know, and people have published API keys and API keys to super expensive services too. Oh, so no. one of the craziest <laughs> API keys you could see was like, like um, there's an API key that a particular company published and it was for the Watson um, IBM API service. So they're... Watson suggestion service, which, I, as far as I'm concerned, is a fairly expensive service. Mm. At least it was at the, was at the time a couple of years ago. So, so that that was all what like. is a very bad API key to publish? Well, yeah, <laughs> you probably don't <laughs> want to do that, right? <laughs> so there was that, and then also as well, we wow. had th I had things like um, like uh, Amazon keys. There was uh, API keys for internal public uh, company services. So um, an API key is basically it's a username and password for a program to log into a service like with Watson that, that you could run up tens of thousands of dollars of charges. Absolutely. Just by absolutely. going, doing just for no purpose, just to cost somebody money. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the most interesting API keys that I found was one for a payment service. Um, so it was an app developer had published this board and in it had a, a, a swipe, um, oh, no. a Stripe, sorry, a payment service a API key. So. I realised with this key that, you know, although I did nothing with it, but having researched what the Stripe key could do, you could actually send payments to it, but you could also refund through it too. You know? Wow. So it was um, it was quite crazy, really. Yeah. Um, so you could get, so you, you wouldn't even have to be a crook. You might be a, a, an, a, a slightly less than moral activist and you go, I hate this company. I'm going to steam in there and I'm going to refund all their customers ever. I guess you could, yeah. I, hopefully they'd find out once you started doing tons and tons of transactions <laughs> using that API key, but you never you know, you know. They're so smart enough to put rate limiting on their API, but not smart enough to keep their private key private. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what so, else did you find? So, so a few other things I found. One of the funniest things I found, actually, I mean, it 
obviously wasn't funny at the time, but I came across this. <laughs> we'll be the judge of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny in Tell retrospect, us. I guess. Um, I came across this HR board. Or I came across a number of different HR boards, actually. It was, it was amazing how many HR departments love to open up these boards full of like, people's PII, like, you know, private information. And they had things on there like um, CVs, starting salaries, mm. things like bonuses, share allocations. And one of the craziest ones I found was one for a hospital. Oh and um, I, I did actually publish this this one, redacted obviously to Twitter and only after they'd removed it. But it had things like the accounts for the um, healthcare systems they used internal to the hospital. They'd actually published like the the account names and the users' passwords. So obviously the password being password one, which is pretty funny. <laughs> and that came from me just doing a quick search. I wonder if anyone's actually using password one. Like yeah. the most basic Basic no, no, no! Password. Everyone's yeah. on password. Spoiler alert! They everyone, are. Is, <laughs> everyone is on password ninety nine now. Oh, that's, well, that's the well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Absolutely. So how disappointed was I? So, so I found this board, and one of the funniest things about it, though, is all huge amounts of information, you know, into the healthcare system things. But the funniest thing for me was the fact they just listed out people's lab coat sizes. Oh wow! Which really, kind of brought it home to the <laughs> fact. So human. That, uh, yeah, yes. I mean, this is these are humans. Yeah. It's a human board, you know. I mean, it's um. It was, it was pretty crazy. And but you can all sort of understand, you know, you're having a board where you might list your lab coat sizes for when, when they, because presumably they get messed up and they need to be reordered. But you have to ask that even, even if people aren't making these boards public, but they're openly available for collaboration internally, mm. why are people putting things like passwords and usernames and API keys on there anyway? Mm. You wouldn't put those on a post-it note on the fridge in your own house. But, uh, but I think the thing is that that's exactly what people do do. Yeah. I think this yeah. is actually just a reflection of normal life, mm. that we live in a bubble mm. where we're very, very worried. I mean, I, I've said it before, but um, whenever I would start a project with uh, somebody to build a website for them, like typically with small businesses, the first thing they would do is they would just send me an email with all of their passwords in. So inside the organisation, yeah. they're all using they're all sharing passwords for each system that they use. And then when somebody pipes up and says, hey, I'm the guy that's going to build your website without any checking at all, they would immediately just fire off an email mm. with all the passwords in it. Um, and you could have been anybody. Like yeah. I, I, I suspect it's terrifyingly easy just to ask people for their passwords and to receive them. So yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised that, I mean, I'm not surprised that inside companies that that kind of thing is going on. What's, I guess, really shocking about this is that you're kind of turning the company inside out mm. and, and it's appearing all over Google. But yeah, the fact that Google's indexing yeah. it is a big What's thing. really bad, though, is it does mean that if somebody says, OK, I'll go and make all my Trello boards private, they've probably, many of these people still have a serious problem, namely that internally they don't have any limitation. They're just oversharing anyway, mm. even if they're only sharing with 10 other people. GDPR is probably saying that is not supposed to be out there. So there's a kind of deeper malaise, isn't there? Are they set to private by default or is it to public by default? I think, uh, well, now it's it's always set to private. Right, so, okay. so Trello have really corrected some of this problem, but people can still set them to public. Yeah. And um, very often it's users who don't really fully understand what that means. Yeah. And it really does mean public and not just like the, the kind of general people within your organisation, you know? It means Google's going to be looking it at it. It means Google's <laughs> looking at it, you yeah. know, and helpfully indexing the entire thing, yeah. you know? So, 
So um, crazy. Yeah. So do you? Th- I, it seems to me that people just don't know what public means. Yeah. Like I, I I I agree. I think Trello have obviously done some work to try and uh, stop this because the boards are private by default, and there's a big message, isn't there? That if you've got a Trello board it, and it's public, it says all the time, "This board is public." Mm. Um. And there's not a great deal of sympathy, I'll be honest. If you look at the Naked Security comments on that story, there's very little sympathy for the users who've got public boards. Yeah. And I think that that's a bit of a shame because to me, as a, I've got a background in interface design, that's an interface design problem. That's mm. not a user problem. Okay, so it's easy in retrospect to look at it and go, well, it says it's public. Of course, it's going to appear on Google. But is that actually what people have got in mm. their minds when they go, oh, I want it to be public? Because in the same way as I think people overshare passwords naturally... I think also people are quite mistrustful of computers and permission systems. And yeah. often what happens is they just set permissions to whatever the most permissive thing is because they know that that's how they're going to make sure nothing gets in their or way. Or if you're using it as a staff collaboration tool, you think, well, I don't want it private because that's just for me. So yes. pub- I'll set it to public so other people can access it without realising what that means. So. so at the very least, it seems like there's a job for them mm. to do in terms of explaining what public means. But the thing that really blows me away is that Although you could argue that this is a problem created by users, it's a problem that Trello could stop today. Yeah. Because it Google makes it very easy for you to not index stuff. It doesn't have any interest in indexing things that you don't want to be found. So all Trello has to do is set its robot.txt entries to prevent indexing of all of its boards, everything under slash B, and then go into uh, Google Webmaster Tools and say anything that's already been entered into the index should be removed from the index. And this problem absolutely goes away. So yeah. it, it makes me wonder whether or not this was a deliberate uh, thing that they did. That, that Not that they wanted to hoodwink people, but if they genuinely believe that people understood what public meant, yeah. then it's a great way of publicising your service. Mm. You know, if everybody enters into that arrangement kind of knowingly and understanding what it means, mm. then you end up with an awful lot of useful looking Trello boards on Google that people might run into and go, oh, well, that looks interesting. I wonder what that is. I'll try it. Mm. I'm sure it definitely helped their page ranking and other Google type statistics too. But one of the interesting things about the boards though is people do use them publicly, like you said. So for example, lots of startups use them to to publish their roadmap for the next 24 months or, you know, that that type of stuff. And Mm. it's an incredibly useful way to do that. You know, the issue really comes from the fact that it's super accessible you can get a Trello board running in about 30 seconds. Anyone can do it. And in the case of one hospital, they, they had no idea the, the users had done this. It was just a, a case of shadow IT. Mm. Um, the user had gone out, found a solution. Obviously, hospital IT hadn't provided them with what they needed. They'd gone out, found something, Trello, and thought they'd configured it correctly. And lo and behold, along comes me and reporting it to the hospital. Yeah. And it's uh, it's all closed down. You know? So you've reported it to the company's where you can uh, absolutely yeah. so a lot of the time i found that it was really easy to find out who these people were because helpfully they'd use their own names very often the organization <laughs> name was there and then uh, i, I oh, kind of so find you it could just lo- log in as them yeah <laughs> just i'm just here to pay yeah. my phone <laughs> yeah unfortunately well it thankfully it wasn't quite rocket science but um you know i i looked it up on linkedin and then very often either reached out to them directly or i'd reach out to the organization via whatever kind of open contact mm. email they had and in some cases i just i just um contacted trello directly and trello were super helpful um and they removed the boards almost almost in minutes 
Okay, that's good. Yeah, I'm sure I'm on some blacklist with them because whenever <laughs> I ask for it, it gets removed within. <laughs> It's, it's incredibly quick. You know? He's back. <laughs> so is this a problem with similar services like to Trello? It's not just a Trello thing, presumably, or is it? Well, now services? you've got me thinking, actually, oh. because, um, you know, it's only Trello boards I've really looked episode. at. Yeah, exactly. What I'll else can we look week. at, Craig? Absolutely. Well, I think for anybody who... I, I, I'm inclined to agree with Anna that this idea of private v public, that I can see the idea, whether you're using, you know, a WordPress or a Drupal or a Joomla or something that manages content and publishes it inside a big organisation, like, say, a hospital... Private does sound like, oh, that's private. It's like my little scratch pad on my hard disk, even though it's in the cloud, only I can see it. And for public, you think, okay, everyone in my network, everyone in my company can see it. And you don't stop to think that when you're when you're do, using a cloud service, it isn't in your company. And public literally means absolutely everybody in the world, including search engines, ones that comply with the robots.txt and ones that don't. Mm. So what's your advice to people using Trello? Well, make your board private, number one. <laughs> Lock it down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, private doesn't mean just for you. It means for people that you've authorised to look at it. So maybe also don't don't just put things on there because it says private. Mm. That doesn't. It's not an open invitation to publish anything you want, like things that you're supposed to keep like API keys, salaries, Absolutely. share schemes, uh, if they're not meant to be public inside your company, then they shouldn't So be. if you're looking at a Trello board and at the top of the Trello board it says public... Yeah, change it. Change it to private. <laughs> yeah, that's and if you can see start. passwords as you look down the Trello board, you've still, got, you've still got a problem. Yeah. 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 And if you can see passwords that are password, then you have a third problem. We'll uh, we'll stick the article in the show notes so people can go and have a look at some of the screenshots because you've got quite a few screenshots there, haven't we? Right, I love awesome. the one where you were redacting it with little blue strips and you said, I almost ran out of... This one was so bad, pretty, I almost yeah. ran out of blue. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I did one of those. I did one of the screenshots and I was like, square, 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 oh, square. Well, I had so many up. good ones and the, the issue was, though, it just got so tedious to, mm. to just hide all that PII, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the funniest ones I had, actually, was um, a recruiter's board. And I never shared this one, but it was it was it was kind of funny, but kind of sad at the same time. But it was a recruiter who'd who'd been looking for a specific post and interviewing people, and he comments about the interview. You know, so if oh, your name no. is Richard, and in 2017 you didn't get the job that you're expecting, oh, no. it's because you weren't enthusiastic enough. Okay? <laughs> oh no. Oh, but you you didn't want to work there anyway. No, yeah. probably <laughs> they're not great. Yeah, because <laughs> everyone else yeah. knows yeah. I'm not enthusiastic now. <laughs> and anyway, that was only one guy's opinion. Oh god, well, that's awful. Thanks, Greg, and thanks everyone else. Um, where can we find you on social media, Mark? You can find me at Mark Stockley on Twitter if you want to see occasional grumblings. If you're more interested in chickens, you can follow me at Internet Fens. I'm interested in both, Craig. Uh, you can find me, Craig Jones, on Twitter. I'm at Albanor, so A-L-B-A-N-W-R. Okay, thank you. What What is that? Uh, that's actually Scotsman in Welsh. Ah, okay, so I, I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, so I actually speak Welsh. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to, can you say where we can find you on social media? Tigafindiovi uh, ar Twitter, uh, at Albanor. Oh, perfect, thank you. And Duck, you can say it in whatever language you want. I'll just say it in at DuckBlog is where you can find me on Twitter and the very prosaic at pduckling on Instagram. 
And I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter and we are at Naked Security on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us, YouTube, everywhere. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. It's good for us to show our bosses that we are doing a good job. And until next time, stay stay secure. secure.